0: We typically are people of competing curriculums. Uh, What I mean by that is uh, we will go to church on a Sunday and hear a sermon that's presenting us one way of life, one uh, vision of reality that we're called to live into. And it's beautiful and it's of God and it it looks like Jesus. But the second we step out of those doors, we're immersed in a counter-curriculum that doesn't look like that sermon, that doesn't uh, reinforce those ideas, that doesn't lead us into the way of Jesus. And so we then have to make a decision which curriculum we're going to live into. right? And for the most part, the competing curriculum, that hidden curriculum that you get immersed in the second you turn on your phone after Sunday church, that curriculum often wins why is it because its narrative is more profound or true or compelling no not necessarily i don't think there's anything more profound true or compelling than the gospel of jesus but the reason that that competing uh, curriculum wins is because its methods of formation are more effective powerful and persuasive than those that we've embraced within our christian tradition Welcome to The Follower Podcast, a place for conversations and ideas on how we follow Jesus to the depths of his heart and the ends of the earth. Follow is a community of learning and practice in the way of Jesus. And You can find out more about resources, events, and how to get involved by visiting www.wearefollower.com or finding us on your social media platform of choice. We hope you enjoyed this episode with your host, Matthew Lewis. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Follower Podcast. We're in uh, the series, We Are Follower. And in this series, we're basically introducing and communicating uh, what this community is, uh, this follower community. We've looked at the why of follower, uh, the fullness of life in a transforming friendship with God. Last week, we started to look at the what of follower, uh, a community of learning and practice in the way of Jesus. And we spoke with Mark Skandret about what the way of Jesus actually is. So if you haven't listened to that episode, pause here, go back. Have a listen, highly recommended. It. And, and it's really going to help you track with the unfolding ideas that we're, we're building into the series. Every episode, building on the last one. In this episode, we're going to start a conversation on what we mean by learning and practice. And actually this week you're going to get a double bill. So this episode you're going to hear from me and I'm going to give you some thoughts around learning and practice and how we understand that and how it applies to the follower community but also just to your life as you follow Jesus. And then later on this week you're going to get a second episode where I have a conversation with a good friend Uh, of the podcast Trevor Hudson and he is an an incredible thinker a devotional writer he lectures on spiritual formation and practice uh, in South Africa and all around the world and so I just thought he would be a great person to have on to have this discussion around what we mean when we talk about learning and practice so that's what you can look forward to both today and then later on the week that's that's a first for the follower podcast Um, I'm excited to experiment with that and I hope it helps you Now, just before we jump into this episode, I thought we'd have a pause and just a time of prayer as we prepare our hearts for the journey. Our Father, closer than our breath, remind us that we are never alone. Save your reputation from the stains of our rebellion. Mark our lives with the light of your new world and the passions of your good heart. In the work of our hands, in the words of our mouths, and in the way we love our neighbors. Keep us content in the gift of enough that pours from your generous hand day after day after day. Thank you for forgiveness that finds us in the mud lifts us to the rock and stirs a song within us free us from the pain of not forgiving others even as they sling their sludge across our face remind us of all the dirt in which we still stand test us if you must but only in measure For we are but dust, and save us in your strength from the one who dwells in darkness. Amen. So, as we jump into uh, the session on learning and practice today, I thought we'd start by looking at a passage that we find in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through to 30, specifically. I'm going to read it through, and then I'll just unpack a few thoughts uh, that help us uh, get some handles on this idea of of what we mean by learning and practice. So, here's the passage. Jesus said, uh, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A few things uh, that I just want to point out to us as we unpack this passage. The first thing would be to understand the context of these words. Uh, just before Jesus gives us these words, that a lot of us know if we've been in the Christian world for any time, uh, he says this, uh, verse 27, he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. Um, It's important to remember that everything we talk about in this episode, and indeed when we talk about learning and practice, when we talk about the way of Jesus, is framed within the broader context of actually knowing the Father. The goal of learning and practice is not uh, moralism or being a better person necessarily as much as it actually is uh, knowing God, intimacy with God, or what some have called union with God. And it's important to say that because we've all got this little kind of uh, like a Pharisee that is inside of us, and that, that guy trends toward control. That's definitely been my story. As I've entered into a, a spirituality of, uh, of the disciplines of learning and practice in the way of Jesus, one of the initial hurdles I actually had to get over is that I interpreted the practices as a way of controlling my faith. So I, I kind of thought, man, I'm, I'm stagnating a little bit in my walk with God. I want more intimacy. I want to I walk into deeper friendship with Him. And then here's these practices. Here's this learning and practice. And if I can do these things well, well, then I can control and navigate my own friendship with God. And what I've found is that I've actually, as I've actually entered into practicing this way of Jesus, the exact opposite is true. <laughs> That the practices are actually a mechanism unto surrender, not unto control. Um, And the reason is because the, the goal of the practices are to the Father. They're unto relationship. And that relationship is a relationship that's dynamic and shifting and profound in the way that it changes you and and shapes you. So if you're framing this idea of learning and practice uh, in a kind of moral way or even a religious way, and, and what I mean by that is, oh, this is a system by which I can control my relationship with God, I would just say right at the outset, it's probably not the right spirit to come at with these things. The, the spirit of the disciplines, to coin the phrase from, from Dallas Willard, is is unto surrender. It's unto the Father. It's unto relationship. And so, uh, in the words of, of David Benner, uh, the point of learning and practice is in the way of Jesus is to surrender to love, not to try and control your faith, formation, or trajectory. God. So that being said, let's, let's look at this particular passage, verse 28 to uh, 30. Right at the front there, we've got these, uh, these kind of poignant words that stand out. It says here, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, are you tired or worn out or burned out on religion? The first thing to recognize when we're talking about learning in practice is that um, we're all doing it. (laughs) Uh, Like it or not, you are already learning and practicing a way. Um, Your flickering screen on your cell phone, that billboard as you drive to work or take the train or the bus... Uh, every media advert, those, those skippable adverts on YouTube, everywhere you go, you are being drip-fed ideas, priorities, and deep-seated convictions, right? And these things seep their way into your minds scroll by scroll, and they don't stay there. So you don't only learn these ideas pretty much by immersion in a culture, But you practice these ideas because they bleed their way out onto your dining room table, if you ever sit at one of those, uh, or into your relationships, or even out of your mouth as you're in traffic, right? None of us are the static, self-determining people that we think we are. We are highly malleable and painfully susceptible to the ideological currents whirling around in the air that we breathe, yeah, we are all you included as you listen to this, becoming something for better or worse. And if you don't choose what shapes you um, in this decision uh, in this process of becoming, then that decision will be made for you. That and that leads you to a question, right? It should at least uh, is that is the question is is what's shaping you, and how is that working out for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> I heard this phrase recently, it's new to me at least, maybe I'm a bit old, Uh, this phrase of doom-scrolling, right? It is doom-scrolling, that moment when you kind of, you get into that black hole of social media and you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and before you know it, you're looking at a cat with bread around its head. Um, (laughs) Is that making you the kind of person that you hope to be, Yeah. Is living for image and status and possessions really satisfying the deep ache of your soul? Um, Or if we bring it into maybe a more religious context, are all the books and conferences and sermons stemming the tide of the the rising anxiety that you're trying to medicate with religious busyness? All these are rhetorical questions because I think the answer is... uh, no, it's not helping the anxiety. No, my, my deep soul ache is not being satisfied. No, I'm not becoming the kind of person that I hope I'd be. And so maybe then you actually relate more to the words of this passage. Maybe you're laboring and you're heavy laden. Maybe in the words of Eugene Peterson, you are tired and worn out, and burned out on religion. And if that's true, uh, you need to take note of that, because it's a signal, it's a red flashing light on the dashboard that says to you, your current way of life isn't working. And, And Christian people, if you're listening to this, we're not exempt from this, right? Because We typically are people of competing curriculums. Uh, What I mean by that is uh, we will go to church on a Sunday and hear a sermon that's presenting us one way of life, one uh, vision of reality that we're called to live into. And it's beautiful and it's of God and it it looks like Jesus. But the second we step out of those doors, we're immersed in a counter-curriculum that doesn't look like that sermon, that doesn't uh, reinforce those ideas, that doesn't lead us into the way of Jesus. And so we then have to make a decision which curriculum we're going to live into. right? And for the most part, because of the way that we've understood discipleship, which we'll get into in just a second, the competing curriculum, that one that you, that hidden curriculum that you get immersed in the second you turn on your phone after Sunday church, That curriculum often wins. Why? Is it because its narrative is more profound or true or compelling? No, not necessarily. I don't think there's anything more profound, true or compelling than the gospel of Jesus. But the reason that that competing uh, curriculum wins is because its methods of formation are more effective, powerful and persuasive than those that we've embraced within our Christian tradition. That's why. because marketing understands how people work and leverages those mechanisms to shape and form your life and that's why you find yourself torn on the inside on one hand, wanting to live into this, this vision of, of a God reality that you've heard about. And then on another, being pulled in every direction by what the Bible calls the, the, the sin and the weight that so easily entangles us and stops us from running this race. So that's the first thing to consider, and it should be comforting in a sense to you, because if you relate to that, you're not alone. Jesus has been talking to people just like you from the very beginning. There's there's always been people who are laboring and heavy laden under a kind of weight of existence that they were never meant to carry. As they try and live into a story that is an inferior story, and they feel the weight of that, uh, Jesus speaks to those people just as he speaks to you. And what does he say? Uh, this is the next thing I'd love to focus in on. He says this. He says, uh, come to me. I love that. That the invitation is not uh, come to an idea, come to a building, come to an event, but come to me, come to a person. This, is, this links back to what we were talking about in the last episode, that Jesus is a way Right? Jesus is a way. He's not just an idea. He's not just a theology. He's not just a doctrinal statement. For the first followers of Jesus, these first individuals, this idea of invitation to Jesus was concrete. <laughs> yes, this man had, had skin and bones. He was there. He, he had flesh on. His life was embodied. This is the way of Jesus. And so Jesus says, come to me. And what will happen when you come to me? Uh, you're going to find rest. Love that. And I love that this word is repeated twice in two verses. Come to me and I will give you rest. Uh, And then at the end of verse 29, you will find rest for your souls. Apparently in the mind of God, in the mind of Jesus, rest is an important counterbalance. It's an important antidote. It's It's the sign of healing for a life that's come to God. Now, now, why is that? Uh, wh- wh- why is rest such an important idea to God? Well, just do me a favor for a second. Wherever you are, whether you're washing the dishes or listening to this in your car, just pause and take a deep breath in. And out. You see that feeling? a kind of uh, revived sense of well-being that just settles in your soul, even if just for a second? What if, what if that's kind of what Jesus is referring to when he speaks to rest? Uh, the, the root word actually uh, speaks to refreshing, or as Eugene Peterson puts it, the, the recovery of your life. And this rest, this refreshing, this recovery of your life is so important, not only because of of how this changes you as an individual, not only because... Uh, It makes you a person of greater, what the Bible calls shalom, internally. you, You are more congruent and integrated. You have the peace of God, which passes all understanding. You're moving in the joy of the Lord, which is your strength. This fruit of the Spirit is starting to operate. You've entered into a kind of a refreshed renewal of life as an individual. Not only is that important for you as an individual, but it's important for what comes through you as a person. Right, because so many of us are so tightly wound, so anxious in our presence that even our best attempts to bring life to the world are kind of covered over by an unavoidable, inescapable anxiety that, that inevitably uh, adds to the noise of the world, adds to the brokenness of the world, rather than bringing healing there. We, we are unhealed in ourselves, and so we inflict ourselves often on the world. And Jesus is saying, man, if you come to me, you'll you'll drink deep of my rest. And when you are a rested individual, when you're a non-anxious presence in the world, you will bring rest to the world that you're called to serve. And this leads us to our next question. How does Jesus intend to give us this rest? How does he meet us at the place of our labor and heavy laden selves? And how does he bring us to rest? Well, he says there in verse 29, he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Let's talk about this idea of uh, a yoke. Um, now this is a it's got really a double imagery that's happening here. On one hand, it's uh, this, it's a it's an image that Jesus drawing is drawing from the idea of oxen. So when oxen would plow a field, they would have this this kind of wooden thing that was put over the neck of two oxen to join them, and um, and that was called a yoke to yoke the oxen. And typically there would be a stronger ox and a weaker ox, and the stronger ox would take the greater weight of the yoke, and then they would plow together. And so Jesus is drawing on this imagery. He's saying, "I want you to be yoked to me just as that one ox is yoked to the other ox." And there's a lot of beautiful imagery in there in the sense that Jesus is the stronger ox and he's going to carry the weight, but it doesn't exempt us from the work of plowing the field with him. It doesn't and if we're yoked to Christ, well then what that means is we go where he goes. We move as he moves when he goes left, we go left. When he goes right, we go right. So there's a a picture, a beautiful word picture metaphor that helps us understand what it means to be yoked to Jesus. At the same time, this idea of a yoke referred to at at the time a a set of teachings um, or interpretations of the Torah. So a rabbi would interpret the scriptures in a particular way. And that particular interpretation, that his teachings, his understanding of the law of God, the implications and practices that then flowed out of that, that would be called the yoke of that rabbi. So when Paul, for example, says that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, right? What he's saying is he sat under the teachings of Gamaliel or under the yoke of Gamaliel. And, and here's what's important to understand about this idea. You see, the second that we talk about learning or sitting under the teachings or yoke of an individual, because of the way we think in a sort of Western, uh, cerebral, heavy, mind-heavy context, what we think is, man, we've got to learn their content, right? So, so think about it this way. If you go to a university and you're sitting under a professor who's teaching you a subject, you might say that you're sitting under the yoke of that professor, yes? And because of how we've understood education, the goal then of you sitting under that teaching or that interpretation is for you to um, get the information. When you get tested, they're going to ask you to answer questions and your pass or fail is going to be based on your ability to recite the information that you've been taught, right? Right. This is not the same as rabbinical discipleship. (laughs) When Jesus says, I want you to take my yoke upon you, he's not only saying, I want you to receive my information. He's saying, I want you to become like me as a person. So the goal of being yoked unto a rabbi was not only to get their thoughts, it was to mimic their lifestyle. The goal of any student under their rabbi was that, after they had apprenticed themselves to that rabbi, at the end of that journey, they would be like that rabbi. Not only would they think like them, not only would they teach like them, but they would live like them. Their habits, their postures, their practices in the world, that was the goal of a yoking under the way of a rabbi. And that is what Jesus then means. right? So when he says, come and take my yoke upon you, there would have been a cultural lens that understood what he meant without him having to explain it. And unfortunately, in our context today, we are missing that cultural lens. And so very often when we hear Jesus say, take my yoke upon you, even if we do the work of understanding what a yoke is, we still interpret that through a cultural lens of learn my ideas. And this is why for, for many Christian people, the emphasis is on uh, what you believe in your mind. And the emphasis is on right doctrinal statements in your mind. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 I, I actually want you to take a lifestyle on yourself. Now, you can do a quick little test to see which camp you're in here. When you think about your relationship with God, if you have one of those, uh, what are the areas where you're looking for the guidance of Jesus? <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. Is Jesus primarily existing with the, in the category of your Christianness? So let's imagine for a second that you're a business person listening to this. Do you listen very carefully to Jesus when you're in church on Sunday or at cell group in midweek or having a devotional time? Um, And do you listen to him with the same intensity as when you're sitting around a boardroom table having a meeting about marketing strategies or having that conversation or call around sales or signing that new contract uh, in a particular deal? Uh, If you're a mom or dad, uh, does your attention to Jesus cover your raising of your children? Do you think that Jesus knows how to raise children well? (laughs) Um, If you're a university student, right, the list is endless. Whatever your life looks like, where does the advice of Jesus go? Because for the most part, what we've done is we've categorized Jesus in a particular context. We've said, Jesus matters over here in the world of theology and Christianness, but he doesn't have a whole lot to say in the very practical lived experience of my life. This is not the yoke of Jesus. Because what Jesus wants to do is to infiltrate and affect every area of our lives. He wants us to take on his lifestyle in the words of John Markoma so that we can experience his life, or in the words of this passage, enter into his rest. And there's a paradox to be managed here, right? Because for some of you, you were tracking with the beginning of this conversation. You were going, like, man, yes, I'm heavy and I'm I'm, I'm heavy burdened and I'm weary. And then I started talking about rest. And you were like, Oh man, yes, that sounds so good. I'd love to have rest. And then I started talking about work. I started talking about, hold on, applying a lifestyle to my lifestyle, copying the person of Jesus and doing what he does. And that sounds a lot like um, work, Matt, and that doesn't sound like rest. And that's part of the challenge because when we think of rest, we think more of in the category of a hammock on a beach and some tropical island than we do in apprenticing ourselves under the way of Jesus, and I understand that it is tricky. But what's been helpful to me is to think of it like uh, physiotherapy, actually. <laughs> so recently, uh, I was at gym and I was doing some exercises, and uh, and I hurt my back, because when you reach the age of thirty, your back suddenly uh, sends in its resignation notice, and so there I am. Uh, I've got a sore back, and I can't do the kind of work at the gym that I want to do. So I go to a physiotherapist and there's the pain. And I go, man, I need you to fix this pain. And here's what the physiotherapist doesn't do. The physiotherapist doesn't say to me, I just want you to lie down uh, for the next six weeks and not do anything and that'll fix it. Um, Yes, the physiotherapist does say to me, take it easy, rest a bit. But also what the physiotherapist says to me is, here are some exercises I need you to do. And when it's a little bit sore, I need you to actually lean into that pain and do these exercises because that's going to strengthen the muscle and help you get over this injury. Then I go to the biokineticist after that, and he does a whole assessment of me and all these different things are going on. You know what the biokineticist doesn't say? He doesn't say, man, I want you to go home and I just want you to just sleep and just not do anything. And then for the next month, I just want you to just basically lie down and, and not do any work. No, no, no. He says, here are some exercises. Here are some uh, practices that you need to enter into. And when you do this, it's going to activate this, move that, and shift this next thing. And you're going to enter into a kind of healing that ultimately will give you rest. This is what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying the reason that you're weary and heavy laden is not so much because effort is the problem. It's because you're carrying an inappropriate load. It's because you're trying to live into a story that you weren't made or designed for. And the answer is not no story. The answer is the right story. And this is why Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say no yoke is easy and no burden is light. Jesus is clear. He has both a yoke and he has a burden. And if we want to enter into the rest of God, we're going to have to take both of those upon ourselves. But what he is saying is in comparison to the inappropriate weight of the broken yoke and broken burden of a broken world, mine is easy. Why? Because that's what you're made for. I literally divinely engineered you to carry my yoke and live under my appropriate burden. And when you do that, when you live into my story, when you take my yoke upon you, when you learn and practice the way of Jesus, you will find rest. And so in very practical terms, what that means is we look at the life of Jesus We break it down into pieces. We go, how did this man actually live? What did Jesus do with money? How did Jesus conduct his relationships? Go through the Gospels, just as um, Mark was telling us last week. Find the direct commands of Jesus. Where did he say, do this thing, (laughs) right? Do those things. That's what he's saying. Look at the life of Christ and do the things that he told us to do. Not only that, but model, like repeat the things that he modeled for us to do. What does it say? Jesus would often retreat to quiet places to pray. Okay, we want to take his yoke upon us. So do you often retreat to quiet places and pray, right? Jesus says that, man, there's this meal, and I want you to have this meal whenever you gather in order to remember me. So then do you do that? Or is communion that that thing that you do maybe once a month at your church if you get around to it, right? What what does that look like? Jesus was a man of the Scriptures; he literally speaks in the Hebrew Bible all the time. That what's coming out of the mouth of Jesus is the the Torah, right? The Hebrew Bible. So he was a man of the Scriptures, and he encourages his people to be people of the Scriptures, and we see that in the early church they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Okay. So is your life rooted in the truths of God as communicated to us through his scriptures? Um, Jesus was a person of community, right? Fellowship. Jesus literally ate and drank his way through the New Testament. So if we look at his life and we want to take his yoke upon us, well, then the question is, are you in community? Or have you believed the lie of individualism that a broken yoke and inappropriate burden Is placing upon you. Do you see what I'm saying? This gets real practical. We look at the life of Jesus. We break it down into bite-sized pieces. And then we learn and practice what He does. Now, now why do we do that? Because uh, the way of Jesus is a means to the grace of God. And the grace of God is the active agent of our transformation. Yes? So if you want to be transformed from this weary burdened individual, into a person who's entered into the rest of God, where you know the fullness of life in Christ and ultimately look like Jesus, well then as we meet Jesus on His way, by learning and practicing His lifestyle, we, are, we enter into, what did we say right in the beginning, union with the Father. And in that place, grace goes to work in our lives as we lean in and we actually become transformed people. And what's interesting is the longer you learn and practice the way of Jesus, the greater its effect, <laughs> right? You learn and practice the way of Jesus for a day, the outcome is going to be minimal, but you do it for two days, three days, a week, a month, years, a lifetime. The trajectory of that kind of obedience as you practice the way of Jesus in the grace of God and are transformed by the renewing work of the Spirit and enter into the rest that Jesus is offering you. Um, It's unquantifiable. You will become a different kind of person. Now, to be clear, uh, perfection is a hope that we hold on to for the life and the age to come. But maturity in Christ is very possible on this side of eternity. You don't have to build a tent and make camp in your current level of dysfunction if you will take the yoke of Jesus upon yourself, if you will learn and practice His way, you can look more like Jesus in this lifetime in significant, measurable, and profound ways. And as you walk with Him and talk with Him and learn His way, as you, in the words of John Marcoma, be with Jesus and become like Jesus, then you will eventually learn to do what Jesus does. That's what it means to learn and practice the way of Jesus. Now, as I'm sharing this, I'm aware that there will be many points of resistance to what I'm saying because I know that, unfortunately, this is not normative in contemporary Christianity. And so I just want to pick up on two of those points of resistance. Um, The first of those points of resistance uh, would be The idea that some people have is that as soon as we start talking about learning and practice or applying ourselves to the way of Jesus, what we're talking about now is works-based righteousness. Okay, And I I want to say as strongly as I can that that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, In fact, my conviction is to say that grace is the key issue in this whole thing. Uh, Nothing happens without grace. We cannot change ourselves, heal ourselves, or save ourselves. It's all by His grace so that no one can boast, as we see in Ephesians 2.9. But what we can do, and this is important, what we can do and what we must do if we really want to enter into the rest of God and know the fullness of life that Jesus comes to offer us is we can choose to cooperate with His grace or choose not to. And this is the question that it leads us to is, how do we build a faith that leans deep into the grace of God through all seasons of our life? And my conviction would be to say uh, that we do that by learning and practicing Jesus' way. Consider these words by Dallas Willard around this topic. He says, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude Effort is an action, right? It's it's the scripture saying, take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. Or work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All throughout the scriptures, we can see this impetus, this invitation to effort, to apply ourselves to the things of the gospel. Set your minds above where you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, not on things below, right? We are... Not automatons, friends. We are cooperative and collaborative in our friendship with God. We are co-creators with Him. He gives us free will and agency. I believe that. And so we then choose to enter into the grace that transforms us by learning and practicing the way of Jesus, or unfortunately, we choose not to. And we will see the difference in the results of the character that is built in us over a time. The second area of resistance that I'd like to enter into just before we close is um, a lack of desire for Jesus, (laughs) right? Um, Let me say it to you this way. Uh, Learning and practice in the way of Jesus is only really compelling to those people who really want Jesus, (laughs) right? Right? If Jesus is not actually our desire, if what we would prefer is a ticket to heaven or a point of conversation in our Sunday social club, well, then we'll be happy to settle for what the Bible calls a form of religion without the power thereof. And the reason we'll be happy to settle for it is because this uh, learning and practice in the way of Jesus as we've said, is costly and often uncomfortable, although ultimately good and necessary. Now, many of us, we want a kind of Jesus who will bless our idols and patiently wait to be summoned to death. But fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your view, no such Jesus actually exists, (laughs) right? Some of us are asking Jesus for a miracle that he's actually just not willing to offer. Uh, C.S. Lewis describes this really well. I'll leave you with this thought and then we'll close uh, this session. He says this. He says, When I was a child, I often had toothache. And I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me get to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not till the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew she would take me to the dentist the next morning. So I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from pain, but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. And I knew those dentists. <laughs> I knew that they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth, which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. If you gave them an inch, they would take an L. Now our Lord is like the dentists. (laughs) That is why he warned people to count the cost before becoming Christians. Make no mistake, he says. If you let me, I will make you perfect. The moment you put yourself in my hands, uh, that is what you are in for. Nothing less or other than that. You do have free will, of course, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand that I'm going to see this job through. This I can do and will do, but I will do nothing less. And so, friends, if you uh, have a point of resistance to learning and practicing the way of Jesus, it might be because you just want an aspirin for your toothache rather than a trip to the dentist. And unfortunately, that's just not a miracle that Jesus is willing to offer because he's only doing one thing. And that's uh, conforming us to the image of Christ. (laughs) And so where do we close? Um. I want to remind you about the why behind all this. Uh, Fullness of life is possible. That is why Jesus has come. The place we find this fullness of life is not just in an idea about Jesus, but in the way of Jesus. And it's one thing to acknowledge Jesus is a way. It's another thing to walk that way by learning and practicing His way daily. But if you do, if you learn and practice the way of Jesus, if you take his yoke upon you, well, then to return to our passage, you will find rest for your souls. And you can trust this Jesus. He is gentle and lowly of heart. Again, in the words of Eugene Peterson, um, he wants to teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. He's not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. So keep company with Him and you will learn to live freely and lightly in this world. That's all we have for this session. In the next episode, which is going to be coming to you this week, so look out for it, we're going to have a conversation with Trevor Hudson around his understanding of learning and practicing the way of Jesus. Perhaps uh, in response to this episode, you might want to pause and go back to that passage, Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Sit with it for a while and just allow the Spirit of God to show you where you are on this journey. Are you laboring and heavy laden? Or maybe you need to come to him. And if you've come to him, well, maybe you need to take his yoke upon you. Because, friends, if you do, man, you're going to find rest for your souls. That's all for this episode of the Follower Podcast. If you found it helpful or inspiring, please consider sharing it and leaving a review on your podcast platform to help us connect with more people around the world. If you would like to support the ministry of Follower with a monthly contribution or one-off donation, you can visit www.wearefollower.com forward slash support. And to say thank you, we'll send you a free copy of Live the Story, an ebook that helps you learn to share your faith with others. Until next time, may you follow Jesus to the depths of his heart as he helps you share his love wherever you go, from the ground beneath your feet to the very end of the earth.